Gluttony is not taking seriously the food we eat and the choices we make about food in regards to our relationship with God. And so gluttony is simply saying, God, I don't care what it is that you want me to do when it comes to eating or what you want me to think about eating. Uh, It's simply saying, I'm going to eat however I want to eat to satisfy Myself. Now, if you're like me, and, and maybe this is your first time here, uh, maybe you've been going through this series, but, but if you're like me at all, th- then you just would readily admit that to think about and actualize eating for anybody other than myself is a very difficult thing to do. We moved this last week. And uh, it was just a, a fascinating experience in gluttony for me because you're moving and your food's not there and, and you're eating whatever is in the in front of you and, and you're, you continue to eat because you're, you're moving and then you want to eat more. And, and so this week I had a, a relapse, if you will, in my gluttony and, and, and I just pretty much ate however I wanted and totally satisfied myself. And I'm in the middle of preaching a series on gluttony, right? And, and so here's the difficulty with gluttony as, as I was just thinking about me and my wretchedness this last week. And here's the difficulty. Everything in our lives tells us to eat for ourselves. I mean, we have stomachs inside of us that are saying, look, eat what satisfies me. And we have a tongue in our mouth that says, eat what tastes good. And we have a world that says it's all about whatever you want to eat. And, and we're bombarded, if you watch TV, you're bombarded with, with commercials about food. And this tasty, nice, juicy burger with grilled onions, that's the new one at McDonald's. And then the next commercial says, hey, here's how you can lose weight and here's how you can eat to be healthy, right? Just call this number. And the whole world says, hey, eat whatever you want and satisfy yourself. And on top of all of that is that churches seem to be saying the same thing. If you go to a potluck or a church event, nobody ever goes, hey, what does God think about this? We just eat, right? And statistics tell us that, that in church, there are a higher percentage of people who are obese than outside of church. And remember, obesity does not equal gluttony, but it can be a sign of a certain type of gluttony, and that is saying, I'm going to eat too much and not think about what God thinks. So we see just all around us, Eat too little to satisfy yourself. Eat too much to satisfy yourself. Eat whatever tastes good. Eat the most expensive food. It's all around us. And so conquering gluttony, which I have said helps us to conquer life, is a very difficult thing to do. And today I want to to help us move forward another step. And I've given you these challenges over the last several weeks. And hopefully they've kind of helped you take steps forward in conquering gluttony. I asked you to, before you you eat a meal the first week, to stop and say, God, here's the reason that I'm eating this. And this is why it connects to you and your honor and your glory. And hopefully you did that. And the next week I asked you to change a meal because of something that you would think God would want you to do. And so hopefully you took part in that. And then last week, uh, hopefully you, you took the challenge and, and you actually gave up a meal uh, in order to share with somebody else, which is a pretty clear teaching in Scripture. And I, I hope you took advantage of that and fulfilled that challenge. But today, I want to look at what I think is really the challenge that the Bible offers and really the discipline that the Bible offers in order to help us conquer gluttony and, as we'll see in a second, a lot of other things in our life. And so let me just, let me just read you from Mark 2.18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So what is fasting, if you don't know? Fasting is simply abstaining from food 
in any way, but most often it's a reference to abstaining from food for a religious purpose. So it continues in Mark 2. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Now here's the implication. They're not just asking Jesus this so that they can get some intellectual knowledge. They're asking this because they're, they're, they're accusing Jesus of not being as religious, as not being as holy, as not being as focused on God. And so there's an accusation wrapped up here. They're saying, hey, you guys don't do all these great religious things that the other disciples of other people do, so you can't be living as good. Now notice Jesus' answer. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So Jesus responds and he says, look, it's not appropriate for my disciples, my followers, to fast while I'm with them. But when I leave, notice it, they will fast. Now, that's a really interesting thing for Jesus to say because, because I know that I've grown up in the church and, and, and hardly ever do I see people, experience people, listen to people talk about fasting. But Jesus here just assumes that when he goes, that people will fast. And here's what's even more interesting is in the early church we actually see that take place. If, if you don't know the story, Jesus dies on a cross to save people from sin. And, and if you accept that gift, then, then you can go to heaven someday. Then he rises again on a day that we call Easter. And, and about 40 days after that, Jesus ascends back into heaven right in front of his disciples' eyes. And then he's gone. And His physical presence is no longer in the world. Now, through the Spirit, Jesus is with us and He gathers with us when we gather as a church and He meets with us in our prayer times. But, Jesus' physical presence was no longer with Him. And here's what we read in Acts 13.2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts 14.23 says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And so we see early in the history of Christianity that fasting is part of the fabric of the church. It was just something normal that they did. Now, turn your attention to Matthew 6, 16-18. It begins... Talking to his disciples, by the way, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the largest sermon recorded of Jesus in the Bible and probably his most famous. He teaches on just about everything that you could possibly want a teaching on. It goes from Matthew 5 all the way through Matthew 7. And right there in the middle of it, he says to his disciples, When you fast, now notice the implication that someday Jesus' followers, people that we would now call Christians, will eventually fast, abstain from food for a religious purpose. Continues. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. The people Jesus mentioned, these hypocrites, they were fasting in order to show themselves as holy and awesome to the rest of the world. And so the Pharisees, they would actually fast two days a week. That's quite the commitment, right? But they were doing it in order that people would look at them and respect them more and think that they were great. And so they'd walk around on the streets acting like I act when I'm hungry. Uh, you know, oh, I just can't do anything. And I sit here and Bryn make my food. I just can't get up off of this chair. They were acting like that in order that 
people would know that they were fasting. So Jesus says, do not act like these hypocrites when you fast, because they do it to show off in front of others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And then in verse 17, but when you fast, repeats it again, right? I mean, it's just assuming that his disciples, his followers, Christians will fast. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, here's the most fascinating part of of this, this little passage of Scripture to me. It's the longest passage of Scripture on fasting in the New Testament, and really the most comprehensive teaching on fasting in the New Testament. And what's striking about that is everything that Jesus doesn't say. Like for me, if I'm one of his disciples and I'm sitting there in front of him and Jesus is sitting on a rock and he's preaching to me and he says, hey, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites, but instead put oil on your head and make sure that you look like a normal day so that you will receive reward. There's like a million questions that come to my mind. Jesus, why should I fast? Hey, Jesus, my hand would go up. Jesus, uh, when should I fast? When are, when are we going to do this? Hey, Jesus, you know, what's that reward look like? Because if I'm not going to eat, then, you know, and I'm going to act like I'm happy, that's, that's tough. So it better be a pretty good trade. Do I get like a brownie at the end? Or, I mean, what does that look like, Jesus? Hey, Jesus, you know, uh, when are we going to start this deal? Because right now you're talking about how we shouldn't fast. And so when does this all take place? And so for me, The most interesting part of this whole passage is not what it says. It's really what it doesn't say. And the questions that the disciples don't ask. And and so here's, here's what I think. I think that the disciples understood fasting. I think when Jesus says, when you fast, do it like this, he says it that way because he's looking at a group of people, Jewish people, Jewish people who are following him, that just know what he's talking about. They have some understanding of why they should fast. They have an understanding of when they should fast. They have an understanding of the purpose of the fast. They have an understanding of what reward might come from that fast. And so for these Jewish men who are listening to Jesus and Jewish women, I I think they just have an idea of what Jesus is talking about. And I think that most of that idea is going to come from the Old Testament. Uh, one of my, my main sources for this sermon is a source that, that I put on my notes, which you can find through version. It's fantastic. It was actually a dissertation called Christian Fasting, A Theological Approach by Kent D. Berghaus. And, and he says this and, and lots of other great things on fasting. He says, by its very nature, fasting seems to suggest that something is wrong. Eating is a normal part of human existence, so abstaining from eating implies a disruption in the very rhythm of life. But the Old Testament uses fasting and abstinence from food to point to something even more necessary for life, communion with and dependence on God. And today I want to look at that and and examine what I think these first century Jewish people listening to this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, listening to Jesus talk, hearing about fasting, would have assumed when he said fasting. Now let me just give you broad overview. Five reasons you should write this down for fasting in the Old Testament. And these are five pretty good reasons for us to fast today. Fasting is a sign of grief or mourning. As a sign of repentance and seeking forgiveness for sin. As an aid in prayer. 
as an experience of the presence of God that results in the endorsement of his messenger. For example, when they put pastors over churches, they fasted. I read that earlier. As an act of ceremonial public worship. One more time. Fasting is a sign of grief or mourning, as a sign of repentance, as an aid in prayer, as an experience of the presence of God, as an act of the ceremonial public worship. Now, when you look to the Old Testament, you see all of these things. And we can't look at all of them today. We can't look at every passage of Scripture that, that alludes to fasting or talks about fasting. Uh, instead, I want to focus in really on just two passages of Scripture that, that will help us understand the heart of fasting and maybe some of the reward and maybe when we should do it and why we should do it. it fasting first appears in Leviticus 23, 26 through 28. And that's at the first and only time that fasting in the Old Testament is commanded. It's a fast that still continues today, interestingly, in, in the Jewish world, uh, on a holiday called Yom Kippur, which used to be referred to as the Day of Atonement. And, and so they still celebrate that today. But the first incidence of fasting that we see really helps us to know more about fasting than that command. Exodus 34:28 says, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. Let me back up just a little bit here. And this is an important story in the Bible. And here, here's what happens. The Jewish people are slaves in Egypt. And God sets them free and they go out into the desert by crossing through the Red Sea. And now they're out in the wilderness. And God says, I want to make you a holy nation, a royal priesthood, my treasured possession. And they say, cool, that's awesome, whatever. And God says, okay, here's, uh, I'm going to come and I'm going to meet you with you on a mountain. And, and so God shows up and he meets with them on a mountain and in fiery blaze. And he starts speaking out his commandments to them. The Ten Commandments first and then a lot of other commandments after that. He gets done. And then he says, hey, Moses, I want you to come up on the mountain and I want you to get stone tablets from me. And on those stone tablets, as we know, are the Ten Commandments. You've seen pictures of those, I'm sure. And so Moses goes up on the mountain. And while he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights, the people build this golden calf, a baby cow out of gold. And they start to worship it. And Moses comes down off of the mountain and he's angry because he sees that they're worshiping a false god who's not a god at all. And he chucks down the commandments. That's a really bad thing to do. I'm sure they would have been worth tons of money. Uh, and, and, and he breaks them. And then he deals with the people and God punishes. And, and Moses prays, says, God, you know, don't destroy this people. And, and, and God relents and decides not to punish them so severely that they are no longer his people. And then God calls Moses back up onto the mountain at a later time. And so Moses goes back up onto the mountain and he goes into the presence of God and we see this. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread and drinking water. What's really fascinating is that some people, some scholars believe that Moses fasted the whole time he was up on the mountain the first time and that he fasted in between the two times on the mountain. So that would make three fasts of maybe 40 days and 40 nights without food or, keyword, water. Now let's be clear about something. This is very important to the whole passage of Scripture, to really the whole, the whole idea of fasting. It is impossible to go... 40 days without water. People can go 40 days without food. It's pushing it. You're not going to be very healthy by the end. But you cannot go 40 days without water. In fact, you would die after about 
three days with water. And I actually read on the internet uh, in studying for this sermon that, that some lady miraculously went about 17 days without fluids. And, and so I think that might be the record. But, but you're not going 40 days without water. And so really at the heart of what is happening in this story of Moses fasting is that Moses is replacing this physical food and water, what gives life in some way, with the real life-giving presence of God. And so for Moses, in the midst of this fast, it isn't just about not eating for some religious purpose. It is really about showing that God is the true life-giver. The sustaining of Moses' life is the near absorption of Moses into the glory of God. When he is in the presence of God on the mountain, he needs no food or drink because God himself sustains him. Perhaps we should think then of God being pictured as the real source of life in whose presence even earthly food and water might be unnecessary for a person if God so chooses. Of significance is the fact that Moses was speaking with God. And so here you notice that what's happening is that Moses is being sustained by God. If you flip to the New Testament, you see Jesus come into the story. And and here's what's really fascinating, is that throughout Jesus' ministry, we see that Jesus is meant to be duplication in some ways of what Moses did for the people. Moses led his people out of slavery. Moses, through God, provided people food. Moses was able to hit a rock and water came out of it. And so Jesus, in some ways, duplicates that on a much grander and greater scale by leading us out of the slavery of sin, by providing for us everything thing that we need by drawing us into a deeper and better relationship with God. And so we see that duplication in the New Testament writes in a way that says, look, here we see that Jesus is a lot like Moses. And one of the most interesting ways we see that is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 4, it says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's the most obvious statement in the Bible, right? I mean, if you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, you're going to be hungry. I'm hungry right now, and I've been fasting for about eight. Uh, And and so we see that Jesus here has an experience like Moses. Now notice verses 3 and 4. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Isn't that fascinating? Moses went up on a mountain to get stones. And now here, Jesus is looking at stones, and Satan, the devil, is saying, hey, turn these into bread. And here's what Jesus answered, and it's a direct quote from Moses to the people of Israel about the wandering in the desert. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, in the midst of this fast, this fast like Moses has, says, look, it's not about the food that we eat, the water that we drink. Ultimately, our life comes from God and is sustained through God. Now look, God oftentimes, all the time just about, does that through you eating and through you drinking water, right? But here is what is at the heart of fasting. When we fast, when we pause and say, I'm not going to eat And sometimes, and don't do this for a long time, but I'm not going to drink for a period of time. This is what we say. We say, God, I recognize that it is you who gives me life. 
It is you who provides the food and water for me. It is you who gave me the life in the first place when I was conceived in my mother's womb. It is you who gives me eternal life through Jesus. It is you and your presence and your sustaining power that offers life and gives me life. See, here's the problem. At the heart of gluttony, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is self-worship. We say, God, it's all about me. I'll eat whatever I want and I'll, I'll, I'll taste whatever I want to taste so that I'm happy, but I'm not going to worry about you when I eat. And at the very heart of that is simply saying, I'm going to worship myself and what I eat and I'm not going to worry about the worship of God. And I think part of that, part of that is this biological thing where we go... I need to keep myself alive. And so I'm going to eat a lot, and I'm going to eat as much as I can, and I'm going to eat consistently, and I'm not going to consider God, because biologically, I am going to keep myself alive. And even at the heart of that is self-worship. It says, God, I don't need you for this life. I need me for this life. I will take care of it. You don't worry about it. And when we break from that and say, God, I'm not going to eat today. I'm not going to eat. I'm, I'm going to take a break from food. I'm not going to eat at all. It refocuses us and it helps us to remember that God is God and He is the life giver. And it is His power that sustains the life that He has given us. Even if it comes through food and water as it normally does, even if it comes in that way, it is not by your power that you have this life. It is by the power of God that you have life. And so here's the truth. When we fast, it helps us conquer gluttony because it draws us back to a place where we remember that it is not us who gives us life. It is God who gives us life. And it draws us back to a place of worshiping Him. This is why I think fasting is so important for conquering gluttony because it reminds us of who we are and who God truly is. Now here's the other part of this, the other passage that's really important. If you were to flip down to Isaiah 58, 1 through 9, flip over in your Bible, it says, Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say? And you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Now this is really interesting, right? Because this goes right along with what I just said, the presence of God. And in some way, some real tangible way, the Israelite people are not eating food so that God's presence comes into their lives in a way that they can feel and understand and even touch, if you will. And so they're looking at God and here's the question. They're saying, hey God, we didn't eat yesterday but yet we don't, in a very tangible, real way, sense and feel your presence in our lives. And so in some way, it seems, in the Old Testament, the people believed that it wasn't just about reminding us of the power of God's presence in our lives, but it actually ushered in the power of God's presence into our lives. And here's what got the response. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? 
Is it only bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here am I. God says, look, if you're fasting and all you're doing is saying, Well, I'm going to remove food, then that's not good enough. You must fast with the heart that says, God, I am seeking to do your will. You cannot fast and say, look, I'm just going to be a jerk to everybody while I'm doing this. No big deal. You must fast and say, God, I'm going to be kind and loving to people. You cannot fast and say, I don't care about people in the world at all, whatever. I, I don't care if you're struggling and you're hurting and you're broken. No, you must fast and say, God, I want to have your heart and I'm striving to live my life for you. And then notice at the end of that, what we talked about last week, if you were here, he says, You can't fast and just eat your food the next day, not worrying about people who are hungry. Isn't that interesting? So in some ways, he connects fasting here with gluttony, which we have defined as not thinking about food the way that God would want us to think about food, right? And so he says, hey, you cannot fast. Just take away food for a day. Bow your head and say, hey, God, be near to me. Draw close to me. Help me with my sins and not think about food and providing it and sharing it with other people. God doesn't like it. Now, this is reiterated in Zechariah. Zechariah 7, starting in verse 2, says, The people of Bethel had sent to Sherezer and Regim Melech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, Should I mourn and fast in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you have fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Now here is at the heart of what I've been saying for three weeks. I cannot stand up here and say you need to fast, you need to feast. Because that is something that you and God have to decide together. For me to say fast on this day and this day and this day and feast on this day and this day and this day would be outside uh, of the authority that God has given me and the authority of Scripture. And God seems to, in some way, say that same thing here. He's looking at these people and saying, that's great that you feasted at times and you fasted at times. That's awesome, but you didn't do that for me. You did that because of ritual for yourself so that you could feel good, whatever it might be. And I think at the heart of it is God is saying, what we've been talking about and we've seen in other places in Scripture, when you eat, you need to eat for me or I will not be satisfied. Isn't it just a fascinating way to say, he says, when you're feasting, you're not doing it for me. And when you're fasting, you're not doing it for me. It's like the most opposite things you can do, eat a lot or eat nothing. And he says, hey, when you're doing those things, you're not doing it for me. And the implication is, you should be doing it for me. And then he says in verse 7, Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous? 
And then again, and the western foothills were settled, and the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. He says it again here. God says, look, when you fast, you cannot fast and just abstain from food, but you must have a heart of genuinely trying to serve God. Here's what I think it all means for us. If we can just think about fasting. What I think fasting does is it draws us back to a place where we're saying, God, I'm doing this for you. I worship you. I understand that without you, I don't have life. And I definitely do not have eternal life. But it also takes us, hopefully, to a place where we're going, look, I need to be living my life for God the best that I can. And here's the thing when it comes to gluttony. If we're going to conquer gluttony, I think fasting is a great place to start because it draws us back to that place where we say, God, I need you for life. But also, at the same time, if we're listening and hearing the words of God, at the same time, we must be striving to do our best. And we must be saying, God, look, I'm not just going to abstain from food today, but when it comes to food... I'm going to genuinely do my best to eat and make food choices the way that you want me to eat and make food choices. And fasting is just the first step of me really striving to conquer gluttony. If we go into a fast and say, look, I'll just not eat today and that will be good enough for God and then I'll, I'll eat a gallon of ice cream after I'm done, no big deal. I'm not even going to think about God ever again. God's not going to be honored by that and He's not going to meet you and He's not going to come in and, and help you in the way that you want. And so for you, what I encourage, this is, this is what I encourage. I encourage that you take up fasting. I think that the early disciples that heard Jesus' sermon would have said, okay, when I abstain from food, to remind myself about the presence of God in a way that reflects my heart that says, God, I want to honor you in everything, then God will come and He will meet with me and He will offer me help and He will offer me the, the assistance that I need to conquer whatever it is I need to conquer in my life. You see, the reason that fasting takes place in the areas that I listed earlier when we're mourning or when we need answer to prayer or when we're making a, a major decision is because God comes in the midst of our fast, as long as we are doing it with the heart that honors Him and, and strives to glorify Him and everything, then God comes and He offers His presence. And His presence truly is all that we need. I've offered a challenge every week, and, and here, here is the challenge for this week. Next Sunday, we are going to start a new series. And for the first time since I've been the pastor, I'm going to make you... Think about, over the course of next seven weeks, about your role as an evangelist, as somebody who leads others to Christ in our world. We're going to spend seven weeks talking about the greatness of Jesus and why people were drawn towards Jesus while He was alive on this planet. It's really cool. We'll be going through the book of Mark, and the book of Mark has all these, these little segments where it says, Jesus tried to go out into the wilderness, but everybody followed him. Or Jesus was trying to walk, but everybody was touching him because they wanted to be around him. And, and here's the deal. We're going to look at that, and what I hope we'll see 
is the reasons that people can be drawn to Jesus once again. And even further beyond that, what I think we'll see is that we can become a church that, that resembles Jesus in those things. And hopefully people will be drawn to us. And even at a, at a different level, you can be a person who kind of copies and emulates Jesus. And hopefully people will be drawn to Jesus through you as you say, I want to be like Christ in these things. And so over the course of the next seven weeks, we're really going to talk about how great Jesus is and how you can be a part of leading others to a relationship with Jesus. And hopefully you believe, this is what I believe, that, that apart from Jesus, people can't be saved, but with Jesus, they can have eternal life. And I think that, that, that many of you recognize that it is your job to lead others to that conclusion and to show people the greatness of Jesus and the salvation that Jesus offers. But so many of you just don't do it because you don't know how and you don't know what they'll think. And hopefully over the next seven weeks, we'll alleviate some of those fears. And, and here, and I'm going to put myself out there. Just this is, I mean, I, I don't like, I, I'm not going to put God on a, on a time frame or anything like that, but this is what's been on my heart and what I've been praying, and some of you have, have heard me pray it, and I've prayed it with you. But, but I, I want to baptize people on this stage on Easter. I, I want to sit here, and we've already scheduled it into our Easter service, and I want to baptize people here. And, and the truth is, and, and I know people don't like it when I say this, but it's not my job to lead your friend and your family member to Jesus. That's your job. And so we're going to have you praying for people and, and hopefully learning from the series and hopefully teaching others what's so great about Jesus. And hopefully we'll have people say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And then hopefully they'll come and they'll be a part of our church. And, and on Easter, I want to stand here. And I want to do something that we have not done enough of at this church, and that is baptize people and say these people are saying, look, I am a part of Christianity, and I want you to all know that, that I love Jesus and recognize the salvation that he has offered. And so over the next seven weeks, that's where our focus is. Our focus is seeing people that don't know Christ know Christ. And here's the thing. Next week we'll begin that, and I will ask you to write down the names of, of some friends of yours, some family members of yours, some leaders that need to know Jesus, and some people that maybe you just know in the community that need to know Jesus. And I will have you write those four names down. And I hope you'll think about that this week, who in your life needs Christ. But this is what I'm asking connected to what we talked about today. Next Saturday, I want you to fast. And I want you to fast and think about how it helps you conquer gluttony, but I want you to fast so that we can come into Sunday morning and we can stand here in the presence of God and say, God, we recognize that it is you who gives life. We recognize that we are not God and you are God. We recognize how much we need you. And so we've abstained from food to, to just show those things. And so, God, will you meet us here? And will you, will you put the right names on our hearts and our minds? And will you guide and lead this seven weeks leading up to Easter and take us to a new place at a church where we, where we are baptizing people more than we could ever uh, imagine or have thought about without you helping us and so the challenge this week is to take saturday from the time you wake up until sunday afternoon and make that a fast where you say god we need your presence we need your power because we believe that you are the savior of the world and we want others in this world to know that 
And so, so here's the deal. Some of you may have physical conditions that don't allow that, and I understand that. Maybe you could fast from something else. Uh, it's not really the definition of fast, but, but you could have the same idea behind that. Say, God, I'm going to give up this. But, but if you are physically able, then as a church, I would just hope that we would be willing to say, I'm going to abstain from this food because and with a heart that says, I want to honor you in everything. And one of those things is, God, I want to lead people through your power to a relationship with you because you have called me to do that. And so we'll remind you, we'll send out an email. If you're not on our email list, get on the email list. We'll, we'll post it to Facebook page like that. We'll, we'll get it out on Twitter. You should know. You should remember, forgetting should not be an option. We communicate at this church. So I, I just would ask that you would do that. And when we come Sunday morning, that we would follow Jesus' words, and you wouldn't show up here going, I'm grumpy. You wouldn't skip church saying, I'm too tired. I didn't have a meal. You wouldn't show up saying, oh, I don't know if I can sing those songs. You'd show up and, and, and you'd follow the words of Jesus and you would look like every other Sunday, but deep in your heart you know that we are, we are seeking the power of God to move in this church and in this world, and, and we are recognizing that, that we can accomplish nothing. We can't even give ourselves life apart from the sustaining power of Jesus. And so I ask that, that you would commit to that and that we're not going to have brownies or coffee next week. Schedule a great lunch where you feast and, and you celebrate uh, what God did for you next Sunday. You know, plan on having lunch with somebody else in our congregation or something. But at church, we won't have that because we know that we need the power of God over the course uh, of the next seven weeks. If we're going to baptize people, it's going to take effort on our part, but it's going to take the power of God. And, and maybe God will say no to us but, but I believe God has put this on my heart, and, and I've been praying it. And, and here's, here's the other thing I know that God's been saying to me over and over and over again. If I pray something that's within his will, and I believe that it will happen, this is biblical, then it will take place. And, and so I'm going to pray it, and, and there's no way it's outside of his will because he wants every person to come to a relationship with him. And I'm going to trust that we'll stand up here on Easter, and, and, and we'll baptize people, and it will be an awesome event. And just a side note, my goal at this church is to have baptism be a part of every Sunday service. And so I hope that someday that's, that's the church that we'll be because we care so much about reaching the lost. Will you, will you pray with me? Lord, it's been a, a great series, God, uh, for me personally, and I thank you for the work that you've done here. And, and I ask, Lord, that for, for us who are Christians in this room, Lord, that, that we would not forget to conquer gluttony because you know that, that I really believe now, God, that if we can conquer gluttony and learn to think about you in every food decision, God, then then that will just that will just trickle over into the rest of our lives and God it will be easier not to commit the big sins that as we so label them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that that the people in this room that are healthy enough, God, uh would as you lead them fast and abstain from food so that they can be reminded uh, of the lives that they should be living and the power that, that you bring that gives us life in the first place, God. And I would just pray that, that next Saturday, Lord, would be going into Sunday morning would be a time when you would give us your presence in a new way, Lord. And you know how much I believe in your presence, Lord. And uh you know how much, God, I believe that you meet with us every, every time we gather, Lord. And, and I pray next week in a new way, Lord, that you would just you would shine on us, God. 
Uh, and, and Lord, as you said there, you would look at us and go, here am I. Because that's what we need to hear, Lord. And that's what this community needs to hear, Lord. Uh, I just look at the cities that, that we minister to, God, and, and it spreads out pretty far, Lord. And I look at them and I, I, I just, I know, God, that they need to hear and see you say, here I am. And that's just going to happen through the church. And we're just entreating you now. I'm entreating you now, God. That next week, as we begin this this new series, this new chapter, I believe God in our church's history, that that you would just just lead us and guide us and be with us, and and you would draw people, God, to our minds and our hearts, so that we know who you want us to talk to you about, Lord. I pray, Lord, for those that don't know you in this room, God, I pray that they that they would recognize, Lord, that isn't food or water that ultimately keeps them alive, it's you, God. And, and Lord, we know that you, you use the physical ailments. I mean, we need shelter, we need water, we need food, Lord. But, but ultimately, without you, we would not have the souls that we have, God. And I pray that they would be drawn to you, God, as they even think about food. I pray that for people that, that are listening, God, that don't know you, that every time they eat this week, God, it would just be a realization that they need to learn to know you and they need to give their lives to you, God. Just let them come to that realization because when we remember, God, that without you we have no life, it reminds us, Lord, that we should worship you with every ounce of the life that you have given us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.